This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. The Blitz 1170 stream is brought to you by Duck Creek Casino, your hometown casino. All right, welcome back. It's 2.02 here on the Blitz 1170. What's going on? My name is Jeremy Poplin. That is Matt Hubbard. Thank you for tuning in this afternoon and listening via the Blitz 1170 app. Download it today, and you can check out uh, all of the latest podcasts from various shows here on the Blitz 1170. Oh, no. I'm going to do something real quick before we get to our guest. I hope this is not something that's bad. I saw Jerry the King Lawler trending. Um, It's been confirmed that Jerry Lawler suffered a stroke last night in Fort Myers, Florida. He was rushed to a local hospital where he underwent a medical procedure. His latest condition is actually good and is expected to recover. Good news. Okay. All right. Not necessarily what you want to hear, so thoughts and prayers go out to the king. I saw Lawler on the sideline at Memphis for Memphis football versus Tulsa when we went to Memphis earlier this year when they had all the wrestlers, Matt. It was Big Papa Pump. I remember that. You were so excited about that, man. It was Coco Beware. It was um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It was the total package Lex Luger. All of them were doing a signing, and then they had some show outside on the plaza but the King came down and actually watched the majority of the second half from the sideline there with Memphis. And I was actually going to go try to get him on the network <laughs> and have him do a little bit with Bruce on the air, and I didn't do it. So let's, uh, let's hope that the, the King ends up being okay in this. All right, let's hit up the hotline and uh, welcome in Jacob Unruh, who joins us now from the Oklahoma, who covers the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Jacob, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm jealous that you got to hang out with the King and Lex Luger and Ricky Steamboat. Man, I mean, my childhood, man. We so the funny story about that, Jacob, is I uh, we were there and I saw them post that they were having this local wrestling show, but they were going to bring in local legends. I didn't know until we were getting ready for pregame that they were going to do a section in the Liberty Bowl uh, in the uh, concourse where you could go get autographs. Dude, I walked by because I'm like you. I that That is my childhood. I have so many memories of that. Big Papa Pump still intimidates the hell out of me, so I'll say that. I kind of uh, <laughs> avoided him a bit. But when I walked by and I had my uh, Tulsa gear on, Coco Beware looked at me and goes, Hey, man, are you from Tulsa? And I thought every, it was everything I did to go, Well, no, I'm just wearing this shirt. But he, <laughs> yeah. he worked this territory for a while. And Coco Beware, if you would have told eight or nine-year-old me that I would have like a 15-minute conversation about how great the city of Tulsa was with Coco Beware, I would have just, that would have, my mind would have been blown. But he was like one of the nicest people that I've talked to in quite some time from that era. It was, it was wild. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I would have, 
I would have lost it. It's like the time that I stood in line behind Goldberg at a quick trip in Tulsa a couple of years ago, and I was like, "This is Bill Goldberg." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I yeah. I love that stuff, man. You you just yeah, never know, and and uh, it's even better when you get a chance to talk to him, and they end up being incredibly cool and incredibly yeah. nice. Now, the only person that would have made me lose my mind probably if it had been like Sting or something at the Memphis thing, I would have lost. Oh my gosh, yes, so. yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, I will say that there wasn't really like a, a long line of people breaking down the door trying to get an autograph from Coco, so he had a little extra time on his hands, if if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so he probably yeah, was talking yeah. to me a little bit, but that, that doesn't really need to matter anything and how awesome that he was in general. No, no. All right, uh, let's uh, turn to Oklahoma State. So I'll ask you this question. Based off of what Mike Boynton said uh, yesterday in terms of Anderson's injury, um, where he didn't completely close the door, and I understand how coach speak works, but then you see the actual post on Instagram from Avery, and you're like, yeah, I would probably lean more towards Avery with him being completely done for the year. So uh, do you think that I'm probably in, in looking at it from the, the right way just based off of the tone and tenor of, of what his Instagram post was? I, I You know, I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> I followed back up with OSU last night asking, say, hey, Avery said this. And, and the response was, you know, we're still, you know, still being told indefinite. And so um, – I, I don't know. I I thought the same thing, um, you know, but if it's a wrist surgery at this point, when you think about it, I mean, what's say February 7th. And so, you know, the tournament's in a month, the big 12 tournament's in a month. And then until the tournament a week after that. So if OSU gets in, so it's, it's a pretty quick turnaround for a wrist surgery, even, even what they're calling a minor one like this. And so I, I'm not, I'm too optimistic, and I'm an optimistic person, and I don't feel that optimistic <laughs> about Avery returning um, as of right now. Now, granted, we'll, you know, we should know more after tomorrow when the surgery is. That's what Mike wanted to point out for sure was that it, he's not going to set a timetable until after the surgery and they get in there and they see what they do and they, what they have to do. Um, and so it is his offhand. That might help a little in this case, but, you know, as we saw, we tried to play through it at Kansas State. Um, it's bothering him. He he can't dribble very well. He has a hard time making accurate passes. He's missed free throws. Um, so um, I just I don't know what to think. And then the question is: Is does Avery return next season? Now, yeah, he's talked all year like this is uh, his last year. So does he go out like this way and hope that he can get an NBA chance, or <clears throat> does he come back and try to build off the way he was playing uh, going to this injury? So what does this do for them moving forward now in terms of on the court? It's not um, it's not great by any means, but I do feel like with how they've been able to work a few guys in that um, there could be worse scenarios. And, and again, that's me stressing this isn't great, but it's not like they're having to rely all on one person to take on everything uh, that Avery was doing. They've kind of got three different players that can pick up some of the slack. Yeah, you know, the, the guards are playing better offensively um, with a smaller lineup. That's, that's really – I think that's going to offset some of the 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 sting, you you know, with Avery being hurt. Um, defensively is where I'm really concerned with with them because he's their best on-ball defender. He's a guy that they could throw at Marquise Noel or mm. Crazy Dick or, um, 
easy to Baylor guards. You know, he, he was on Keontae George all day in Waco, and Keontae was the only Baylor player that didn't really have a good game that day. And, you know, so he's he's a guy that goes and make life like, really hard for the best perimeter guy that a team brings in. And so that's that's the question to me is how do you – how do you replace that? Caleb Asbury is the next guy in line because you know, he, because Anderson and, and Asbury really teamed up on Grant Shortfield and some other guys the last few weeks. Um, but it was a team effort thing. You know, it wasn't, you know, where you could just let Asbury go because Asbury is just getting foul trouble. Avery does too. But, you know, now you don't have that second guy. And so I'm worried. That's, that's my concern there is to see how they can respond defensively when they go and have to face some of these guys because, you know, Tomorrow night, Texas Tech, Texas struggled, you know, um, but Saturday they got Caleb Grill in Ames. You know, next Tuesday, Grady Dick's coming to town um, with Kansas, you know, and then, you know, TCU's we get to that. Mike Miles is back by then. You know, who, who guards Mark, Mike Miles consistently, you know, and who who are those guys that can kind of slow down those perimeter guys now? Asbury's going to take most of it, but after that, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's uh, that's a point that um, I think we get so focused on what he's done uh, offensively, but I think you bring up uh, an excellent point here um, with as well as he's played as of late. Now, with this injury that he had on the 7th, it's, it's one of those things that, I'll be honest, and I said this earlier today, uh, we came in here yesterday and you just get caught up in the overall like flow from the TCU game the fact that they gave up mm-hmm. a big lead and kind of hang on. Like, I felt bad because I, when that came out last night, I was like, I don't even think I really talked about the fact that Anderson wasn't on the floor very much yesterday at all. And then the announcement comes out, but um, it just kind of shows you how important that that TCU win was and how they were able to actually do it without Anderson on the floor, which does at least yeah. bode well for them moving forward. Yeah, you know, I think that helps. I mean, this this team's built on defense, and they're going to find ways. Um, they just <clears throat> they're going to have to adjust, and um, and it's going to hurt offensively too. And it, because he's the guy that he's the best shot creator they have, best guy again to the basket, one on one situations. Um, but it does bode well when you can go in there um, against a good TCU team, even though TCU is shorthanded. Um, that TCU team is still really, really good, really deep. Yeah, a ton of guards. Um, really made things interesting with with Avery not playing at all, and and it just it shows how far this team has grown. Um, you know, I wrote that in yesterday's paper that this team has shown a lot of growth from the second game of the season. They blew a 14 point lead to Southern Illinois and lost, and then a week later blew an 18 point lead to UCF and lost. You know, this this team, if this was the same team in November, it would have crumbled against TCU on Saturday. Um, instead, this team settled down, showed some poise, um, <clears throat> didn't rush things offensively, uh, and, and made it really work for them uh, late to, to find a way to put that game away despite losing the lead at one point. I was trying to look at positives from it uh, other than just winning the game outright. And when you talk about how far that they've been able to grow, uh, there was a point when we got to what close to four minutes left in that game before they really outplayed TCU down the stretch where I thought, oh my gosh, this has the ability right here. If TCU comes back in a moment like this from having a 19 point deficit, your season could kind of flip. And if there's any type of hangover effect, but they showed a lot of poise there in the final, what, three, three and a half minutes of that game to come out on top. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a sign of exactly what you're talking about with how far that they've grown. 
Yeah, you know, and a big part of that was John Michael Wright in that last stretch. You know, he he had some some moments that he struggled at times in, in crunch time situations early in the season. Um, I think it's a little bit of an adjustment for him from high point, a little bit of adjustment of his role. Um, he kind of got caught between the idea that he knew he wasn't going to need to be the primary scorer early in the year and be that guy. He got maybe a little too committed to trying to distribute and do other things instead of just going and, and making sure the game flowed and did things the right way. And um, now he's more comfortable with who he is. And he goes out there and I still say that that save he had over, over his head to Caleb Asbury led to Caleb Boone Dunk was one of the craziest plays I've seen in person right there with Caleb saving the ball against Kansas. We got to arrive at his, his one year at OSU. And, um, and then he goes and hits a couple shots. He goes on a 7-0 run himself. Um, and then, you know, they patiently – get the ball to Caleb Boone in the final minute and you know when crunch time's right there and it's what a one or two possession game and they're just patiently running things and getting the ball to low post to Boone to me that was that was the sign that this team is taking the next step forward um, and this team is way better and living up more to the potential than than you would have thought in November. In terms of stretches here is this one of the better stretches under the Boynton tenure in, in Big 12 conference play that we've seen out of him? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, yeah, the way they sure finished with Cade was really impressive. You're right. Um, and and you got to remember in that one, too, Cade got hurt, um, sprained his ankle at Baylor. Um, they didn't beat Baylor then, but then they went to West Virginia, a really good West Virginia team that year, and, and Avery – went nuts and they won that game in Morgantown without Cade. And then they ran all the way to the big 12 title tournament, uh, big 12 title game. And so, um, if it's not the one it's, it's at least, it's at least it's, kind of like ranked close. after that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's close. And then I really also go back to his, to my first year on the beat, the, uh, the 1920 season, um, when they started with an 08 or 09 in conference play. And then they came back and started winning just about every game. In February, um, and really made things interesting. And then they won the first game of the Big tournament before the world shut down the pandemic. And so, um, you know, I look at those those two as my time on the beat. But I think Cades is is number one that Cade year or the way they finished because they were beat. They swept OU and back in like a three day span. Um, they were, you know, they were beating everybody at that point. And uh, so um, that's the stretch. And then this stretch is right there with 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 everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob Unruh is our guest here on the Blitz 1170 covers Oklahoma state uh, talking a little basketball. Mm -hmm. So that victory and like this league at at times seems like a coin flip with how good the um, elite level teams are in this. I mean, look at, you know, Kansas and Texas last night, they both kind of go on, on runs. One's one almost gives it up Uh, with that said with eight games to go, how big is just the win from a metric standpoint uh, with TCU, even with them banged up in terms of postseason likelihood for Oklahoma State? To me, it kind of rooms, looms uh, rather large. It might be one of the more significant wins of the entire season. Yeah, I, I think it's huge. I mean, at this point, when you look at the depth and the strength of the Big 12, a win is impactful no matter what. I mean, it's just going to help. Even a win tomorrow night over Texas Tech is big. Um, because Texas Tech right now is a quad two team, but they can end up being a quad one by the time it gets into March, you know, and then that game really boosts your resume. But it's a it, – the win over TCU, yeah, yeah, 
the the metrics aren't going to look at who was playing for TCU. That's They're right. Look at TCU and Holt, and so it's massive. Um, you know, they just got to keep it going. And if they can go and win in Ames on Saturday too, my goodness, their metrics are going to jump off the charts. Um, because you know, Iowa State's undefeated in home, and so it's I mean, it's just. You know they're 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 set up in a good spot now too. You look at it, they're five and five. Um, if they win their home games, they finish no worse than nine and nine in conference play, which is for this conference really impressive. And so, um, and nine and nine in this conference, or even eight and ten, I think it gets you squarely in the tournament. You're not on the bubble anymore. I think you're squarely in the tournament. And so. Um, you know, I think OSU is just in this tremendous position the way they've played the last few weeks. Where did Lenardi have them in their latest update? Uh, they are the second team in the last four in. So they've okay. moved up a few spots. All right. But they're still in the last four in. Yeah, so. you, would, you would definitely like to get off of that line for sure if you if you can. And like you said, a win this yeah. weekend more than likely does that uh, for sure. So that's why I just thought that Saturdays was so big and – 500 for sure. You might even make the argument for anything even less than that with the strength of the overall conference that they're going to they're going to find a way in. I get the sense from listening yeah. from from Boynton uh just in kind of his cadence um he uh he seems we we talk about the team being confident. It really seems like Mike Boynton's kind of found like an extra gear of confidence with the way his team is playing right now. He seemed a little bit more relaxed at least from the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday was a little more somber when he announced Avery off the bat, and then um, you know that I think that hurts. Um, but yeah, he's feeling good, and and and, I, and I've kind of written this too. I feel like as the team has grown, so is Mike Boynton, so is the coaching staff. Um, when you watch these games now, people you know <laughs> people on the outside like to hammer in game decisions and things like that. Mike and his staff the last month have been, you know, I think ever since Big 12 play, I think they've been tremendous coaches. Um, they've made, you know, Kansas, yeah, they lost some in last-minute plays, but the plays they had there to win the game late, that they, they just didn't get a foul call and things like that, like, were tremendous plays. And he, you know, they coached really well that game. They coached well other games. And the the crunch time decisions seem to be getting better. Um, and he, he's, he's, you know, he said he feels like he's a better coach than me than he has been. And so you're starting to see not just the players, but just the coaches grow, which I think is tremendous um, because many people forget Mike was hired at 35 years old in the big 12, where he's coaching against guys that are hall of famers already that are still coaching bill self, you know, Huggins guys like this, that are just that have been around forever. And he's coaching against these guys, Lon Kruger for a long time. And he's having He's having to learn as a first-time head coach against those guys. And so now he's growing, too, and showing that he can really coach. And I think that's big for us, too. Jacob, great stuff, man. I appreciate you for jumping on again with us here in uh, Tulsa. Uh, looking forward to your recap on the uh, upcoming games as well. And I can't thank you enough for taking a few moments to come on with us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. That is uh, Jacob Unruh joining us here on the Blitz 1170 Check him out on uh, his Twitter page as well, at Jacob Unruh. That's U-N-R-U-H there on the Twitter. All right, it's 2.20. We are due another timeout here on the Blitz. When we come back, Matt, feel like I'll give you an option. Okay. We can either do more LeBron James tonight, potentially passing Kareem, or we can do a little bit on Jalen Hurts. I'll leave it up to you.
We'll find out what Matt picks when we come back next here on The Blitz. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.